Hey there, and welcome to Why Is That Important, where regular people come for interesting ideas and perhaps a little debate. Uh, I am your co-host, Joe Wanger, and I'm here with uh, our other host, Andrew Martin. Hey guys, how you doing? And, uh, and each week we have the privilege of interviewing someone who has something they feel is important enough to talk about, and we'll take some time uh, to discuss and perhaps even disagree on it. And today we are joined by uh, Bradley Lower. How you doing, Bradley? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Cool. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, I'm excited. We're um, obviously in the beginning stages of our podcast, so we are uh, we're using as many family members as we can uh, <laughs> in the beginning. I guess at least that's what seems like happening. We had the Martin Suite. Um, and then we had the Yordi suite, and now we're back to, to a relative of, of Andrew's, uh, which is pretty awesome. So, um, you know, f- tell, us, tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and how, um, how we know you. Well, besides being the first cousin and past labor of uh, Andrew Martin's family, uh, I am a South Louisiana uh, Born rice farmer, uh, converted into uh, family medicine medical doctor, uh, who still lives in South Louisiana, despite traveling and exploring the world. Everything has brought me back to the Deep South, where I get to practice uh, family medicine uh, as an academic uh, teacher, as assistant professor for LSU family medicine here in Lake Charles, Louisiana. I uh, also, before that, though, got to spend time practicing as an emergency medicine doctor in a um, charity hospital system, and then also I've traveled and practiced medicine internationally. So after my family medicine training, I've gotten a hodgepodge of experience, and now sitting down, to see, 10 years later from uh, finishing my residency here in Lake Charles. Uh, practicing medicine, doing all those different things still today. Hmm. So you said you were part of a, a charity hospital. Like, would it, would it, like, is that as straightforward as it sounds? It is. Uh, Louisiana, for a while, was the last remaining state hospital system with the LSU hospital system where each major city in Louisiana had its own charity hospital which had clinics and ER, inpatient beds, et cetera. And due to the changing of healthcare, uh, that system was um, uh, radically changed uh, to where the charity work in Louisiana uh, or safety net medicine is now provided through uh, private hospitals in each major town. There's a lot of politics behind that that we could go on for days about, but it's a whole other podcast. Okay, cool. So, um, so you're the first guest. So you've also done labor at the Martin's farm. So I have. Let's can, let's talk about that just a little bit here because I think okay. that that people that are listening to this podcast, if they've never actually had to work on a farm, need to understand what that is like. So give us just your insight well, into this. Well, I'm not only am I. Um Experience in Martin farming. I mean, I, I'm I'm cross trained uh, because I grew up on a rice farm, and okay. you may think that that involves hard work, and we thought it did. But then, when you go back to dairy farming, you realize that there is a whole other level of farm <laughs> labor, and therefore it opened my eyes. And so since then, whenever somebody says, "Boy, Metzger, what must have been hard?" I can say, "Nah, say nothing." Once you worked on a dairy farm, it makes it look easy. So uh, I have a huge affection for what it means to stack hay bales and wake up at obscene hours and work obscene long days. So it's, and, then, and then do it again on Sunday and every holiday as well because there is no, there is no uh, call group. There is no day off. It is perfectly um, everyday uh, responsibility. So it's, uh, it's educational by far. Yeah. I, I only That's really flattering. <laughs> yeah, I was it, told on my last trip up to Pennsylvania not to romanticize it. I don't think it takes more, more much romanticizing when, you know, you, you never get to take a vacation. When I went up there, that was Curtis's, like, first vacation. My uncle, Curtis, Andrew's father's first vacation in a multitude of years uh, that he was away from the farm. That is true. 
Yeah, that's that's yeah. I never even really. It's funny. I never really even considered that part until you just said it now. But I mean, I just remember stacking hay bales and how much I hated that, and <laughs> and I hardly did anything. I was I was just a little little chubby kid that the Martins uh, were able to get to kind of help them a little bit. So just huh. goes to show how desperate we were, <laughs> <laughs> or how desperate we were. Yeah, well, I, that's true too, I guess. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. It's probably a little, a lot of desperation because that's not fun, and it's it's always it's not like it's in the winter when it's nice and cool. It's always nasty. I don't have fond memories of that. <laughs> we so. might be getting a little off off track. We are, we are. That's okay. Um, all right, so Bradley, what you sent us a list of a couple things. What topic did you finally settle on? Well, the one that uh, I was hoping that uh, y'all would pick, and Andrew did tell me which one was most interesting to him. So that is the one of mental health um, okay. and what that entails. It's a broad topic, but it's a um, <clears throat> rather important topic, I think, for uh, the general populace. Okay, and so what um, what has kind of led you, like what's your background in, in this topic? Well, it does actually start with the farming world in that my mom was not known to be a very emotional person. Uh, you know, she broke her hand hitting a cow grow, growing up, and um, besides maybe, I guess, anger, um, I've still to this day not seen her cry. And growing up on the rice farm with the uh, an emotional German upbringing where emotions weren't something that you would consider reliable, uh, I did not have much of a clue until I got married uh, what emotions were, and I was enlightened. And then when I went into medical school and I got my first taste of medicine and started taking care of patients, that I realized what a, what a uh, role the world of emotions and mental health play in our physical well-being. I was a little bit naive, okay, not a little bit, I was, I was very naive, and so it was quite the, the shocker to me to realize um, how much uh, goes into our mental health, how complicated it is, and how important it is. Would you say that uh, mental health service providers, if I may call them that, as a, a lumped group, um, are as critical to a person's overall well-being as, you know, primary care physicians and the usual med school type as we might think of them? Well, you bring that up. Um, that's actually one part where the talk could even start is uh, the priority or the value. Our culture, if you think about it, when someone says they're a psychologist, um, oh, so you're not a real doctor. It's kind of the mentality that they bring. There's a TED talk about that. A guy named Guy Winch um, was a psychologist, and he, he makes that humor about uh, people uh, considering him a second-tier physician because he's one that deals with mental health issues. And he takes that, though, to the next degree. Um, sorry, I just had a green tree frog of Louisiana jump on me. Um, the He takes that to the next degree of we as a culture don't prioritize uh, taking care of our mental health. Not only do we not prioritize the health provider like you uh, led, led in in your question, same thing, we don't prioritize it as a culture. So while a three-year-old, I think he references the story, I mean, every, every three or four-year-old can go and get a Band-Aid out of a cabinet and put it on to make their bobo feel better, but are they able to take care of their pain that comes from being... Um, detached from their mother or from a, a rejection from a friend, those kind of mental health skills are not as prioritized, and he calls it emotional first aid, as he uh, looks at our bias towards that of the physical and away from the mental. And because of that, do we have uh, gaps or less mental health than we could if we made it more of a priority or valued it more? Interesting. Would would you say there's a, a difference in the financial incentives between primary care and, you know, quote unquote, real medical doctors and the mental health 
professionals because I know there are some very well-paid psychiatrists out there, but my wife as a as a therapist I know is not I'm you know maybe going to make a an unfair comparison but say you know a nurse or someone like that would be paid far better than my wife is. Well, I'd have to have more knowledge on what the reimbursements are. I know sure that if you look at society's willingness to reimburse a, a psychologist or a counselor as a cultural bias we will uh, pay much more money to a surgeon to take out our appendix and i'll probably make that reference for the rest of the evening than we will be to provide counseling services you know there's this 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 bias towards the physical and away from the emotional or mental. And what do you think, where did that stem from? What Did that used to be true? Has it always been true? Or is it something that has changed over time? Well, that's a, that's a deep question that would be very hard to assess because it has so many factors because that's one of the, the points that I've come to conclusion of the mental thing is that it is complicated. Uh, one of the biases I think we have as a culture is one of immigrants, um, and therefore uh, we may have put forth more what is, keeps us fed, what keeps us um, achieving, what keeps us uh, forward, going forward in ambition and accomplishing our ambitions as a group of immigrants, or even not only that, but uh, predominantly immigrants from uh, cultures that are known to be um, Germanic or, or hardworking, and put those kind of values for them, just like the ones on the that survived on your on your dairy farm that led your dad to survive, led my uh, immigrant German parents to survive. So I wonder too that the cultures that come from environments where fruit doesn't grow on the trees, twenty four seven, three sixty five, and if you didn't uh, push aside your emotions and uh, make sure that you saved up for the winter, um, you didn't persist. Uh, you know, there's not much room for, uh, I noticed this bias in talking to a, an ER doctor who practiced in the farthest most north ER in Minnesota. He did not have many psych patients, as we tend to say in the ER. He didn't have many coming in with a psychological emergency or a problem like suicidality or major depression or, or schizophrenia. Because if you were schizophrenic and, and therefore maybe unable to function in society and, and homeless, um, you, you didn't survive physically because the winters were so cold that if you, the, those kind of mental diseases um, would force you to live farther in the south, where in New Orleans they have a very large uh, population of uh, patients have a hard time uh, functioning in society, but because of the warm environment, um, can live in a, in a homeless or uh, mental health um, deficient uh, status. So I don't know if that answers your question. That was kind of a long lead-in, but I do think there, there, are, there are cultural and environmental uh, parameters that play into whether or not uh, we have uh, biases towards um, physical over uh, mental health issues. Well, it definitely, you know, raises questions as well. So I guess my follow-on question would be, um, do you see anybody doing it well? And if so, what are they doing differently? And if not, what do you think it would take to, to do handling the mental health and physical health realms well simultaneously? Well, the first one we mentioned already, and that's recognizing it as something that is important, just like teaching a kid how to put on a Band-Aid um, helps your first aid aspect of uh, taking care of a wound, taking care of your emotional wounds, taking care of um, your own mental health, um, seeing how that plays a role into your overall well-being uh, is important. Ask that question one more time because that, I just lost my train of thought. Sure. Is Do you see somebody doing it well, whether that be an organization or a city or a culture? Um, that is handling that balance well. I mean, you look at Scandinavian countries, they tend to have very low usages of healthcare, but you've pointed out that uh, cold cultures or cultures that have long enduring cold spells tend to have uh, people who are not capable of functioning well enough in society to keep themselves 
fed and housed are forced out, if you will. Um, so, you know, is there, do you see a Mediterranean culture maybe uh, where you see people handling the mental health aspects well that do not have persistent uh, m- mental health related homelessness? I mean, you may not know. I'm just curious right. if you have any thoughts. I don't. My, 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 my bias is to talk about communities where I have uh, functioned or, or lived. Uh, I spent three months in Kenya. And as a physician, I saw one case of uh, what you would call a psychological illness the entire time I practiced there. So we can go to Kenya where you have a uh, community where uh, community is important, you know, a tribal community where we don't have the rugged, independent uh, mentality we have towards taking care of our own mental health here in the United States, and then you go to a culture such as what I experienced in Kenya, where the, the tribe is taking care of one another, but then also, because of the laid-back culture, you know, the, we watched the whole movie The Lion King, where the Hakuna Matata seemed to be alive and well where I practiced, as things were more laid-back. We weren't near as uh, uptight and didn't view time as linear, more of a circular time, and there's more of it, and there was a whole lot less stress and uh, a poor mental health in my experience and maybe I didn't recognize it culturally because it didn't present the same way that I was used to recognize I'm sure there's bias but right there in Kenya was what could be one example of a culture that is uh, more laid back and handling it a little bit better than uh, what we do in the United States did lowered expectations play into that in your opinion Lowered expectations for for Kenyan mental health from my bias, or uh, lowered expectations out of you know what to expect out of life on the part of the Kenyans. Hmm. Didn't think about it like that. Um, I would say maybe a bias to not know that they could or should complain of it. Would um, might be one thing. My recognizing would be another. Uh, their lowered expectations, maybe so, but willingness to to accept um more maybe a more fatalistic approach if that's what you're you're getting after sure but there's there's this back to my one of my original points too is that when it comes to mental health it's complicated and because of our bias as a culture that wants things to be like an appendix where you just cut it out and go on we don't uh approach things um well that are so complicated like mental health we just want a quick fix, an easy fix, something to get on with our lives. So there's such a uh, bias towards here. Just take this pill and uh, everything will be better rather than understanding the more uh, complicated nature that mental health has uh, to it. So uh, kind of going along those lines, what would an emotional or mental health Band-Aid look like? So, you know, if we want a pill to solve our problems, um, but that's not an option because of the complexity of mental health. What can an individual who is untrained do? Because, you know, I have an understanding, you know, if you have a wound, you put pressure on the wound. If it's, you know, bruising, you use, what is it, rest, ice, compression, elevation. You know, like, I have those little taglines that I know how to handle certain things. But if somebody says, you know... it. If a loved one of mine died, I don't know that I'd immediately know what to do to handle that. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you asked because that's kind of where the next part was. So first is to understand our, our bias and our and the, the complicatedness that mental health can be. Um, to understand the treatment, understanding the problem uh, that it's complicated. Well, the treatment, in my opinion, is also understanding that it's complicated. For example, the risk factors. Good. Can I just just to make sure we're all on the same page here? Well, that I'm on the same page here. When when you talk about mental health, that I know that I understand that it's a complicated issue, but um, like, can you give some examples for those of us who maybe are a little less enlightened as in what you're talking about when we're even referring to mental health? Sure. Um, the the point again, it goes to the point that it's complicated because it's going to be hard to say one thing. You have some things on one side of the spectrum, like uh, Parkinson's or schizophrenia, which are a little bit more mapped out and more specific. 
and well easily diagnosed to uh, things that are more uh, readily experienced, tangible, like uh, less tangible, like stress, anxiety, and depression. Um, the film of psychiatry has taken the efforts to make a, a, a book called the Diagnostic Statistician Manual, where they've created a list of criteria to be able to categorize uh, different emotional disorders and, and psychiatric and mental disorders into different boxes and to different diagnoses. Therefore, we can have standardization of care and standardization of diagnosis. But the problem is, because it's complicated, so many things do bleed over. Mm. And so using the phrase of mental health as a phrase can mean any of one of these things from chemical imbalances to, to chemical instabilities related to one's uh, environment or one's relationships or one's experiences. And again, back to that same point that I'm echoing over and over, it's complicated. We can't oversimplify it too much, which sometimes uh, things like the DSM-4, or now nowadays it's DSM-5, does. Okay, cool. Thank you. So then, I, sorry, back to Andrew's question then, like what... What are some what are some things that we can be aware of for our our mental health first aid kit? Well, I'll do it in story format because I know I've kind of gone around in circles a little bit because it's such a broad topic. When it comes back to my experience, for example, in learning how as somebody not known to be an emotional person to understanding mental health, whenever I was in medical school, I remember my first patient who had these very bizarre symptoms of uh, shocking pains going through her body. Uh, and uh, I was going to diagnose her with this uh, rare di- uh, neurological or psychi- uh, neurological, not psychiatric, it wasn't even on my radar as a medical student. So I went through my, did my full neurological exam and I, and I just couldn't figure out, put it in, in any of the boxes I learned neurologically of what this rare disorder was going to be because it was so bizarre. And I brought it back to my upper level who said, well, that patient just is having a stress reaction or anxiety. And it, and it just, what? They can have all these amazing physical findings and symptoms and it can be related to, to uh, mental health issues. So I went back and took a better history and come to find out her, her son was in prison her husband had abused her and there was just this long list of different things that was going on in her life and that opened my mind and my eyes to uh, the interconnectedness that mental health is to our physical bodies and to our chemical bodies and to our relationships and to our spirituality and to all the different parts of us of that who we are and so over time um, I realized as I went into practice more and more as a family doctor how every second room that I went into was going to be a uh, psychological um, relationship to what I was going to treat. Yes, some I walk in and it's a laceration or an ingrown toenail that doesn't have much on the psychosocial realm, but then the next one's going to be another patient with fibromyalgia and then another one that has depression status post their bypass surgery and so forth. And as an ER doctor, you know, who comes into the ER but somebody who is anxious, uh, somebody who is worried, fearful. And so um, over and over again, I learned how much mental health played into the physical health of my patients' lives, and the two were interconnected. And if I was going to be a good doctor and a good physician, I better become a good psychiatrist, a good psychologist in uh, helping them. And so just like there are so many different risk factors and different things that cause poor mental health from broken relationships. Uh, for example, my, my I came home to a Dear John letter, letter, all of a sudden I would be suffering from some uh, issues with depression and grief. Um, these things have an impact on our, on our mental health, our broken relationships. Uh, if I don't get to play much and I don't get to golf or fish or do the things that give me rest, if I don't sleep well, if I don't do the, if I don't get outside in the sun, if I don't take a walk, then how's that going to affect the way that I I, I practice, the way I'm 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 healthy? Uh, then my spirituality. If I don't pray, if I don't understand my creator, or my purpose in life, my uh, greater um, calling, 
that can play a role. And then if I don't pay attention to the way my I was raised and my, my upbringing, then not only my, my training, but so forth, also my genetics and the genetic propensities I may or may not have based off the, the, the chemical wiring I have. So all these different factors play a risk factors for whether or not I develop a psychiatric issue. If my dad had depression, I'd be more likely to have depression as a, as a adult myself. So it starts with understanding that it's complicated. So in developing a treatment strategy, I had to look at all the things that are risk factors and then develop treatment the same way. So I developed I call it the, the Dr. Lower four-step approach, and I don't think I'm going to ever write a book or actually document that. But it's the one where I start with the spiritual, and uh, then after that, the relational, and after that, the environmental, and after that, the chemical. So looking at those four things are what I do in my little ER lecture, mini clinic, limited time approach to help my patients develop mental health is to start with those four steps. So uh, you said spiritual, relational, environmental, and chemical in that order. In in that order. And that has a lot of bias to my own experience, that of the spiritual. I live in the deep south where the spiritual is still, um, I would say theism is the dominant worldview. And most of my patients appreciate and welcome and understand and desire uh, that role, uh, their spirituality to play a role in their mental health. And nothing makes you feel more depressed than if you don't have a purpose in life, you don't know why you're here, answer the deeper questions that man has always asked. And so we often start there and talking about ways we can be more healthy spiritually. It's, it's funny because um, as I've gotten myself into a little trouble with different people in my life i i tend to i have tended to look at things like like anxiety um as as a little more black and white and where the world or the medical field would say chemical imbalance um i sometimes wonder if we if if we tend to go to the to the chemical side a little too quick and miss the spiritual side of it. And, um, that's, that's a, it's a really unfavorable opinion from most people. Um, and I, I've gotten reprimanded um, more than a few times and I've tried to just, just understand that. And so I'm, I'm curious on your, it's almost, it's funny cause your, your four steps almost start, um, with other things that are not, you know, physiological, um, first. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts on, on that, like just using that as an example, anxiety versus faith, uh, versus trust in God, um, how those two interact. And if you, if you think that I'm crazy as a, uh, as a non-health professional to even think that. Well, if you said you, I don't know if you're saying you endorse it or your bias was to go, with the chemical first, I would say that it is the prevalence is for most people to to jump to the chemical. Uh, that's why I put it as fourth in my step. So it was fourth is the chemical yeah. because that is the bias for most people. My bias was the opposite. Usually, I would say I think there's there's something. It's not. I I would say that it's probably not chemical. I I would say that I think our world has tried to fix everything with. With with drugs and um, and has completely missed the missed the fact that there's there's a spiritual component to to our health. Correct. I would say that the, the they they the so I see where you're coming from. So yes, you would be the uh, the less popular uh, person in the general populace of the United States. In the South, you might that that might be more understood. As I said, it's often welcomed. It's not something that my patients would reject. Most of the time, they're they're quite excited to hear that I possess a worldview that involves a God, and they're more excited to hear that that their doctor has a same has a similar worldview to themselves. For the, the but the standard the standard uh, bias I think in America though is they go see their doctor to get a pill and to get a quick fix. 
and I do have plenty of patients that have that approach as well. So when you come across a patient like that, like how do you how do you approach somebody like that? Like that, the one that would want a quick fix. Yeah, or, or that just doesn't even consider spirituality to be a, a a thing worth even talking about. Well, I'm very careful, and in healthcare, the role of physician is often one of of, of power. I have the power to prescribe. I have the power to diagnose, the power to treat, the power to influence um, one, someone else's life by giving my prescription, whether it's a, a, a piece of advice or a piece of paper for a drug. And therefore, I'm very sensitive to um, my patients and their worldview. I don't try to use my position of power to sway their worldview, but at the same time, I would feel remiss to not give them something that I know has seen and has actually good evidence to back its play um, uh, to help them in their mental health. So I, I will encourage uh, their spirituality. And most people, as I said, do, whether they have avoided it or not. I still, I've, I've only had, like, for example, I'll often ask if a patient would want me to pray with them. In my entire practice of asking hundreds of patients that question, I've only had two so far reject but again i know my 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 experiences here in the deep south where things are a little different in the in their worldview but i think most people do appreciate it because in my when my biased worldview we we do have a spiritual side to us and that bias is already implanted in them because there is a a deeper need to understand um things from a spiritual uh, side so i think it's welcome from my worldview that's really amazing that you have that level of uh, participation in just saying, you know, can I pray with you? I think it's uh, an awesome, awesome opportunity to be able to look people in the eye and say spiritual matters matter. <laughs> um, and at the same time, they can, they, they're there with the understanding that you're there to help them. Where I think a lot of people, if I'm not a doctor and I'm not in a position where the person is expecting me to do some good for them, and I say, hey, can I pray for you? I feel like there might be a little bit of a sense of, what are you trying to get out of this? What's your angle? Which I don't know if that's the difference between Deep South and, you know, Mid-Atlantic or not. But I think it's it's a pretty amazing opportunity you have. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't take it lightly either way. I don't want to ever abuse it. But at the same time, I don't want to rob patients from addressing their deeper spiritual needs when they do play a role in their mental health. Um, and I don't think I'm alone in this. Uh, not only did I mention the, there are medical studies saying that patients who, who do pray t tend to get better and have better outcomes, but there's also the, the other organizations that are well accepted in our society, like AA, that include uh, the higher power, higher power step. There's something about understanding a deeper need and a deeper purpose that testify inside of all of us uh, no matter what our worldview. So the spiritual is definitely uh, worthwhile and uh, necessary, in my opinion, um, to developing good uh, good mental health. It's hard to it's hard to not be depressed if it's hard. I mean, it's hard, yeah, hard not to be depressed if you think that life has no meaning. And for you, for all kind of mankind, man has looked for deeper meaning uh, through the spiritual um, realm. What would you say to the person that um, would? Uh, sorry, I'm trying to think how to how to phrase this. Um, to the person that would just look at that as less of a spiritual component, but but the the big thing right now is just a positivity. Like they they think in a positive direction. And it's not really about um, the spiritual aspect of it, but just the fact that there's like there's um, hope or or some sort of um, some sort of uplifting thought? Well, I think that if they're intellectually honest, uh, hope, and hope for the sake of hope without having a, a basis of that hope, uh, still it will find, be not near as um, hopeful, not near as fulfilling, rather than the one that is rooted in a uh, worldview that provides hope. 
hope for just the sake of hope is 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 uh, not as honest intellectually. Do you challenge any of your patients with that? Well, not to be I'm trying to be sensitive here. Most of my patients aren't thinking on that deep of a level. Um, maybe because of the the population I, I care for, but we're normally, as I said, because it's most of the time welcome. I don't get into many uh, deeper apologetic-type discussions about it. Again, that's not my role, and most of the time, to be honest, I just don't have that much time to to get into a deeper talk. Um, Pretty much, I'm able to present uh, what I think is important, i.e. the spiritual, encourage prayer, encourage meditation, encourage uh, Bible reading or uh, meeting with their spiritual advisor. So normally... I leave it at that because time is still um, a luxury uh, to spend with the patient. So, um, you know, I have three more steps to get to, but I always start with the, with the spiritual first. So if we that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So if we have a listener that, like right now, that's either has a family member that they think has some sort of mental health issue, or um, or they themselves have that, like. What would you recommend would be something to, um, f- for them, will be like a next step to, to, to move forward with, with even diagnosing it or working through, through the issue? Well, it's hard to say because, again, the way that I bring up the spiritual issue is not in a near as direct prescription of here, everybody, one size fits all. Um, I have open ended questions that I ask to open up the, the spiritual question, such as, how are you doing spiritually? That's my question. That's my lead-in question that I start with in my practice. Based off that answer, the prescription comes after that. So it'd be hard to give a general prescription to everybody other than don't deny the spiritual uh, part of your mental health. And so that would be my advice to that patient that you just gave me with no specifics would be, don't ignore it. Explore that. Make sure that that part of you is healthy, meaning that you are praying, you are studying the Bible, you are meeting with your spiritual advisor, etc. Make, so make it a priority, I would say. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, even just being aware of it probably is pretty huge um, for most people. Um, so... Uh, then we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but like our final question, you know, why, why, why should mental health be something that's important or, or have more of a focus, uh, on it for, for, for those of us, um, that maybe aren't, aren't as familiar with it? Well, one, it touches all of our lives. We all have a mind and we all want it to be healthy. Um, and most of us have experienced, whether, like you said, a loved one or even our own mental unhealth. And so maintaining that for our sakes and for our loved one's sakes is very important. I mean, if you're suffering from poor mental health, you will not be near the parent or employee you need to be. But you also won't have the joy or the hope or the love that you will be able to experience in life. So it's obvious that to any of us in our experience, that mental health is important. We just don't prioritize it because we think it's something that will come without any vested um, interest. But yet, we see it every day. I mean, I, I get to be an elder at my church as well as a physician, so I get to know how much mental uh, uh, unhealth, discord there is, and multiple church members and family members, and, and it's so prevalent. I mean, I didn't go around quoting the numbers, but one in ten Americans are on a psychiatric medication. Um, you know, the my my church body is here. We are with people with good spiritual uh, understandings, but still have multiple family members, multiple uh, issues in that realm. So it's it's very it's very important. For all of us in all walks of life. Yeah, that's really good. Um, 
And do you have any any other yeah. questions? Uh, what who what is the equivalent of a mental health um, primary care physician or and or a mental health ER? Um, you know, just like physical health can change rapidly, radically, rapidly in a car accident or something like that, or it can also be something that needs to be checked up on regularly. Um, you you mentioned you know being aware of your spiritual position on an ongoing basis. Uh, so I can kind of imagine that's like a, you know, an ongoing checkup, but what's, what's a good mental health ER? Hmm. Well, we all have them. Um, I didn't get to my next steps and we, we, we spent so much time on the spiritual. My next step is the relational. Um, that's one of the, that's one point It's complicated. Cause again, you, you, you showed your bias and ER one single entity of prescription. Uh, it's just too complicated. You you need your, your spiritual ER, but you also need your relational ER. Uh, ever since uh, I recognize my deficiencies in character and emotions and mental state, I've made a habit for the last whew, 16 years of meeting with somebody weekly uh, for my own mental health. Um, because the next step of relational... Uh, as your your wife does, the, the counseling realm, the realm of another human being uh, watching your back um, emotionally, relationally, looking into your life, who can provide comfort, who can provide a place for confession and listening, who can provide correction when they see you uh, being unwise or foolish or, or making poor mental health steps. So not only the spiritual, but then that relational ER, having somebody that you it's not just for maintenance, but if I have, um, take the Dear John letter illustration earlier, if I were to come home and have emotional uh, wreck, uh, I would be when my wife had maybe left me. Well, that that insult, um, uh, loss of mental health, because that's one of the people I go to for mental health is my own wife. Well, I would go to straight to my counselor and my mentor who or life coach or whatever role you want to call him. And have a place already set up because I have a relationship, uh, an openness, and a place I can go that I know is safe to talk about my feelings and to process uh, the pain and discord that was caused that was caused by such a broken relationship. And then third, I mentioned it would be the environmental, and just like an environmental insult, my house flooding, um, trauma, um, a lack of exercise, a lack of of uh, recreation well if i have made a habit of taking a walk every evening i can look forward to that walk every evening or even just take a walk unscripted to help me develop mental health as my way of processing stress or processing anxiety or finding joy or fulfillment so making sure that i prioritize things that that bring mental health that's so individual to everybody the only thing i think that's I think universal is the one I just used, which is taking a walk. And then lastly, having a, access to a provider like myself who can take care of the chemical and prescribe uh, medications. But again, that's uh, that was at the end because everybody accepts that one already for the most part. But it's a very imp- important one because often some people can be have neglected or had such so much trauma that they can't spiritual, relational, or environmentally uh, affect their mental health, they're, they're so deep in their depression that uh, doing those three things can't even be faked or uh, motivated, then medications are definitely indicated. And we are chemical beings, and by uh, affecting those chemicals through, through medications, we can definitely uh, benefit uh, people, but they don't replace a healthy spirituality, a healthy relationships, or healthy environmental habits. So if I have a friend, which this is a true story, but I'm I'm not going to reveal exactly who they are, um, who is, seems, appears to be spiritually healthy. I mean, I've worked with him um, in church settings enough times, and I know he's uh, a capable and competent man of God. I don't know, you know, all the details, obviously, but... He seems to be spiritually healthy. He's, you know, married, has friends, seems to be relationally healthy. Um, 
It's hard for me to say exactly what his environment looks like, but he hasn't had any trauma anyway. His house hasn't collapsed on him. He hasn't, you know, been in a flood or any such thing. Um, but suddenly he starts having panic attacks at work. Um, obviously, you can't diagnose him from a secondhand story of, of a man you've never met and probably never will. But, you know, what is your mental reaction to that? Is it like you should probably take more walks, you know, during your day at work? Or is it, you know, just it's complicated and there's nothing I can do from this distance? No, I would I would say even from a distance, there's still things that are one size fits all in the context of it's one. It's complicated. So, um, learning to um, pray during those times and understanding uh, the fact that fear is not something uh, that's a part of your spirituality is important. Uh, being able to talk about your panic attacks to your counselor or to your to your wife or to your physician, those things are important. Um, and then, as far as treating this, and then third, the environmental, like you said, taking a walk, learning breathing techniques, um, learning how to uh, work through the, the the panic attacks. This is what is a panic attack, but a a dysregulated uh, response. To nothing. I mean, you know, as people tell me all the time, well, I was just sitting there watching TV, and all of a sudden, I felt like a lion was chasing me. You know, like, correct. You you just diagnosed yourself with panic disorder because if a lion was actually chasing you, we'd call that normal, and that is the definition: is disordered um, panic. It's a normal response to have in a situation where it is indicated, but it's out of uh, balance. And so, to put it back into balance, we're to use those first three things uh, that you have, whether whether or not they were completely dysregulated or not, often there are triggers or things that may, in your past, have made somebody more susceptible. And that could be genetic, that can be environmental, uh, it could be anything from abuse to to unhealthy um, period of time where you work for a dairy farmer, or <laughs> sarcasm, obviously. But there are so many different things that's so complicated to go into it, you'd have to explore that individual and that counselor and those different people to find out um, ways that that person can learn to deal with the chemical imbalance of having stress hormone released inappropriately. And then that's what it is. And then, yes, we do have medications as well to make it less likely to have them. And then other medications that make them completely stop in their tracks. Uh, the problem is those, those, those medications often aren't well explained and taken appropriately and then can actually create their own set of problems. I have heard plenty of horror stories about uh, psych psychoactive med prescription medications causing some of the problems they're meant to treat or exacerbating problems that they're not meant to treat or just simply you know, it's a bit of a black box sometimes. You know, if you put this in, this comes out, but you have no idea what happens in between. And frankly, that's kind of terrifying to someone who's educated in the scientific, you know, method and, and with that kind of bent, the idea of having something like the brain where we're going to put lithium in there. We don't know exactly what it does, but you'll probably feel better. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it works amazingly. It really is amazing when it does work. And the, the life-changing uh, benefits it can have, you know. But at the same time, the the uh, just today uh, I had a patient in clinic. Uh, one of my colleagues' patients had lithium toxicity. So yeah, there is definitely um, uh, a balance to our reliance on chemicals to treat things, and that's why I'm saying it's not like an appendix. That's what we want. We want something we can just hear take this antibiotic here, just cut out this appendix, you're all better now, your your infection is resolved, your appendix is taken out. We want that simplistic approach, but mental health normally is not that simplistic. It is, it is um, has multiple risk factors, and so same risk factors that create it that are also, I believe, are used for uh, treating it. So it's complicated. Back to the same two points, so it's important and it's complicated. And your description of it makes it sound somewhat terrifying, knowing that it's important and complicated, and there's no simple <laughs> solutions, and someone who's highly educated just kind of looks at you and says, it's important and it's complicated. <laughs> well, 
That's understood, but at the same time, if you look at the fields of things that we don't understand, the mind's still at the top of them. Um, it still intimidates me every time I, I explore the uh, nether regions of the thought of consciousness and the thoughts of uh, where does my mental mind start and my personhood stop? You know, what, what creates me as a person? I mean, these, these are such deep concepts when you get into the mind and how the mind works and how the supercomputer that we have uh, between our ears is just, it's, it is, for, uh, excuse the pun, the pun, but it's mind blowing. Um, <laughs> the, the, what we have between our ears and the fact that we don't um, preference it to keep it healthy mentally by taking the steps that we see and actually taking other steps that make it worse, whether it's abusing substances or abusing our, our minds, and, uh, allowing stress and allowing anxiety and depression and different things to run rampant in our minds it's uh we don't put that as a priority in our in our culture to keep ourselves healthy that way um i think it's a problem i think we need to be working on it because even even more so because we don't understand it fully and we just have such limited um insight into the mind and how the chemical mind works that's great. I would certainly agree that as a society, we don't put enough time, effort, money, resources, thought towards designing systems that make mental health, uh, getting good mental health care accessible, straightforward, uh, something that people you know want to do. Um, and I don't know if you have any specific policy proposals that might change some of those things, and that might be a, its own separate podcast, frankly. But I would agree with you that it's it's a lot easier to get physical health care than it is to get mental health care. So. Yes, there's, there's no doubt uh, that there is definitely a, a bias there. But, you know, my, that makes a plug then for your general GP family doctors that uh, since we are cross-trained in so many fields, we don't sit there and um, hopefully um, look at one and not the other. I mean, that's that's been one of the areas I've been able to excel in, as you may have noticed from my what's important to me, is because when I see the patient who has the psychosocial illness that with the two crossover, the fibromyalgia, the chronic fatigue, the irritable bowel, and the different syndromes where there's physical symptoms because of the link to uh, mental discord or stress or depression and anxiety or, or post-traumatic stress, it's... Uh, it's something that I, can, I, as my field, get to address both the physical and the and the mental and show that the two are highly uh, related and many different um, disease processes. And, 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 and to um, not shy away from it, you know, because of the bias even in the, in the medical profession towards the appendix, towards the infection, there's so many physicians who do not want to address the fibromyalgia um, because they, they poorly understand it, because it isn't simple. And cut and dry, and it does take time, and it is hard to treat, and there is not a good understanding of the of the basis of the disease process. Um, it causes physicians to run from it, not to run towards it. Cool. So uh, I'm sure I'm sure we could keep going on this for for quite quite a long time. Um, Bradley, is there any place if somebody wants to really start exploring uh, this topic for themselves? Do you have any place that you'd recommend? Uh, maybe they could they could look or or a resource they could find. Well, being the biased um, believer, the Bible um, jumps first to my to the forefront of my brain, okay. and I understand my own I understand my own bias. Um, boy, but you know, the, because everyone's experience is so unique and varied, to say there's a one size fits all book or reference or you know, and then you did a really good job there pointing out the fact that I don't have that. I don't have a place that might have, be a multifactorial, multi-issue uh, resource or website or something. Um, maybe I need to uh, get a better referral. Um, write a book. I'll write a book. <laughs> the four, the Dr. Lower four-step approach to mental health. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I would uh, buy at least two of those. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, and, you and my mom that'd be the only people to buy it i understand he sounds like so uh, no I, you, you pointed you pointed uh a um a deficiency in my own approach that i don't have a place because i could save me a whole lot of time 
and teaching, working my patients, I said, here, just read my book. But uh, I don't know if that'd be near as personal either. Because again, back to the point, it's complicated. Yeah. And I don't know if there's a one-size-fits-all approach to even the four steps, or may just be one step that one person needs more so than the other. Because there's many a time that, as um, Andrew noted, there are, there are patients that come in that, that have the spiritual, the emotional, relational, and the, um, not the emotional, that was the wrong one, have the spiritual, relational, and environmental taken care of. And it is purely just a chemical imbalance, and they haven't addressed it from the chemical side. So everyone's different. Everyone's, uh, everyone's presentation has been different because we are so complicated uh, mentally. Hmm. It's, it's one of the reasons I have a bias against the DSM-5 and DSM-4s is, boy, it's really hard to put people in a box. Into <laughs> a, this is what you have. This is your chemical imbalance. Well, they're pretty complicated chemically. I think it supports the fact that uh, that that humanity thinks that they've they've got it figured out, and yet there's you know the fact that you you've pointed out multiple times just just how complicated it is. It's it's not as cut and dry as as many would would care to make it. So yeah, that's been been great. And one uh, well, two final questions for you uh, that have nothing to do with this topic. Um, the first is. If some if someone were to offer you your f- most your favorite comfort food, what would that be? Oh wow, comfort food! Like that thing you're like. Well, there's man. a place here in Lake Charles <laughs> where the creativity of the Cajun has gone to another level, and uh, I would say it'd be famous foods, um, Yuri's famous foods on Highway 14's um, soft and spicy cracklings. What? What's a cr- uh, crackbone? Cracklin. Cracklin. Oh, crack- what is that? Cracklin is that is your uh, fried uh, pork skin pig fat um, product that is sold in most of the uh, a lot of convenience stores in South Louisiana. Also known in the Mexican realm as a chicharron, um, or um, I'm trying to think what else they they sell them as and um, in the in the plastic bags in the chip aisle, the fried pork skins. And okay. so what, what Gillery's has done though, is they take the, the authentic chopped up pork skin with the fat lead meat left on one side, you know, and, uh, cube that fried that, but then they go and get a high spice vinegar wing sauce type sauce and soak the, soak them in that and, 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 and mush that all up into a big pile and soften the crackling. It's soft and then spicy. So the soft and spicy cracklings from Gillery's Famous Foods on Highway 14 in Lake Charles. I'll make a plug for them. It's wonderful. It's a piece of heaven. That's, that, that sounds amazing. I kind of want you to ship me a box if that's a doable thing. <laughs> and number two is obviously Buddha, you know. So the Cajun uh, rice, pork rice dressing sausage in a case that I brought up to uh, the last wedding in Pennsylvania. That stuff is just, I think heaven on earth i'm clearly living in the wrong state that sounds amazing you are (laughs) (laughs) as someone who has tried boudin at bradley's suggestion i can i can certainly second his plug it i it's something that i'm always like man i really wish somebody would bring authentic boudin to the mid-east or uh uh, the mid-atlantic region because i could really really get a fix of that sometimes Hmm. it is it is quite wonderful not for the cholesterol not for the heart but uh for the taste buds, yeah. Cajuns well, my, know what they're doing. My second Everything question. Everything in moderation, even the boudin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's good for your mental health. Um, my second question was going to be like the best restaurant you've ever eaten at, but uh, my guess is it would be this place. Well. No? Okay. For, right. for the comfort food aspect. Um, but we're talking best ever. Again, like, that, 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 like food, it, environment, oof. everything. Oh, and I'll, uh, you re- how'd you know that I love to eat? <laughs> I think everybody loves you know, to eat. <laughs> I don't know. Some people, it's not important to them it's as, as it is to me. But, you know, I, I, when that lunch clock is clicking, I mean, today was was a Philly cheesesteak day at the hospital. And I was excited because it's Philly cheesesteak <laughs> Tuesday and chocolate yum yum Tuesday. And uh, it, it made my lunch. It really did. Um, so where's the best restaurant I've ever eaten? Oh, 
You've had so many. So many. Oh, I have, and all the different um, different uh, types of food that you have from the you know the rich uh, four four star fancy kind of places to the down home places like the the Gillies famous food. Oh, hmm, that's hard. I'm I'm gonna have to. I don't think I take a pass. You say what the best sandwich is. That's a different question. Or the best hamburger. That you know. You. It's just. It's just gonna be really hard because I can't. I can't say there's one because I I love variety, and uh, I've eaten so many good things in my life that uh, to say the best restaurant is almost impossible. That's sounds like you've lived a good life. I have. Oh no, there's no doubt that I, when it comes to food, um, I'm one of the most blessed people on earth. Having grown up in South Louisiana <laughs> and gotten to do the traveling I do, and to have the uh, the resources that have been made um, accessible to me, so uh, it's been it's it, it has been a good life when it comes to food. There's no doubt. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I hope I didn't bore people to death too much and talk in circles. Because um, I know I, I think I did that a little bit here and there. No, that was, it was well, great. if you have, we'll, we'll know how to handle their mental I- health issues now. So That's right. <laughs> hope I didn't cause any myself <laughs> listening to this podcast. That uh, was great. I, I really appreciated it. Um, for our listeners, if, uh, if you um, really liked what you heard, um, feel free to just take some time and share it rated us on your favorite podcast app and uh regardless um if you're enjoying it um and you're going to come back next week we'll uh we'll catch you then we'll see you thanks guys